Hello, and welcome to Spotlight on Action, produced by the Healthcare Payment Learning and Action Network, commonly known as the LAN. I'm Aparna Higgins, your host for today's episode. The LAN Spotlight on Action series features LAN stakeholders discussing real-world actions and opportunities to transform the healthcare system while aligning with LAN goals and initiatives that advance health equity, healthcare access, and value-based healthcare through adoption of alternative payment models or APMs. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Land Care Transformation Forum co-chair, Emily Brower, Senior Vice President, Clinical Integration and Physician Services at Trinity Health. Emily is at the forefront of transforming our healthcare system to one that is more agile and responsive to the needs of patients, rewards providers for positive outcomes, and addresses barriers to care and social determinants of health head-on through both her role at Trinity as well as her work with the LAN. I would like to welcome you today, Emily, to our podcast. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Thank you so much. Me too. I wanted to discuss several broad themes with you today, focused uh, primarily on the work you have done in leading Trinity's transition to value-based payments, and how those initiatives can serve as a model for innovation in responding to public health emergencies or the PHE, such as the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Um, So a year ago, the LAN launched the healthcare resiliency framework in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And as you are well aware, the framework includes both short and long-term actions to build resiliency into our healthcare system. Um, Trinity, obviously, as a leader in this field, made a shared as well as an individual commitment to that framework. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the actions that Trinity Health System took in the short term during the public health emergency to help create resilience. Yeah, so um, I was so excited to be part of um, that work with the Healthcare Payment Learning and Action Network, um, because what what I found that I'll speak about um, was was not uncommon and uh, for all of the groups involved to recognize that um, that the capabilities that they had built in their population health um, enterprise was there and ready and able to respond to COVID, um, I think was a was a wonderful discovery. Uh, For Trinity Health, um, the years uh, that we had invested in creating clinically integrated networks with uh, really robust care coordination and support for populations attributed to the providers in that network through alternative payment models. That's a very sort of long description of our work um, that 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 investment we had made, um, we had built up sort of strength and muscle during that time that we were then able to uh, pivot and flex and respond uh, to the public health emergency in ways beyond even we had anticipated. And um, some of those were the way we responded clinically. So if you think about the clinical team within a population health or ACO or CIN enterprise, right? That what that team does all the time is to to 
look at a population of patients, understand their clinical conditions, prioritize them according to um, clinical risk, and, and then reach out to develop comprehensive patient-centered care plans. And that's sort of a, a broad general description. So that the ability to do that meant that team, we could say your new attributed population, if you will, your new population of focus is people at risk of COVID. And so we were able to take those same approaches of understanding a population, their clinical conditions, what put them at risk for the impacts of COVID in this case, and then respond and respond in that same way that that team would do for any high risk population, which is to reach out, make sure people understood their conditions, how to be safe, how to access care, make sure that particularly early on when uh, many um, communities um, um, were asking people to stay at home and stay safe, to know how they could get home-delivered meals, home-delivered medications. And it was this incredibly um, effective um, effort. And I've, I've told this story before, but one of our care managers said, she was doing the best care plan she had ever done because the people we were serving were very eager to know how to stay safe, were very eager for help. And in many cases, they were at home with a caregiver or family member who then was part of that conversation. So it was really that comprehensive uh, care plan that we often talk about in population health. But um, very detailed, um, right down to um, all the ways that that patient and family um, could stay safe and healthy. So we had this incredible clinical response um, uh, that really leveraged uh, the clinical teams. And then, you know, the other area where uh, the support that we provide for the provider network um, really shown is uh, we were able to um, have regular and at some um, points during the um, emerg during the public health emergency, even daily um, communications with the providers in our clinically integrated networks. And many of these are small practice, one, two independent, practices in the neighborhoods that mm -hmm. Trinity Health serves and our ability to, uh, to keep them informed as we were learning about COVID-19, who is at risk, the treatments, how to stay safe, all of that information that we as a large health system with infectious disease and a COVID response incident command and access to treatments and testing and all of that were able to then um, include those independent providers um, was, uh, was, an, was really, I think, showed the benefit of this work and how, you know, we always talk about um, uh, clinically integrated networks are a way for independent providers to move to a more sustainable and resilient um, practice and payment model so that they can remain um, independent in the community, but this work during COVID, particularly in, 
in the early days when we were all learning mm-hmm. uh, was really um, showed the benefit of being part of that network and just being part of a health system, having access to all that information and resources. And um, not only that, but during a time when um, fee-for-service encounters just really dropped and and people were not seeking care, um, we were able to bring to those practices um, shared savings distributions, uh, care management, uh, fees, some of the dollars that come through the alternative payment models. And for some of those practices, that was, those were the dollars that kept them open. Mm-hmm. So I really just, um, as I said, I still, every time I think, reflect on this work and just share it one more time, I still am struck by how this investment that we had made as a system, because it's so important to our mission, um, paid off um, that, that the, um, the benefits of that in terms of being a more resilient uh, network of providers and able to respond to the people in the community mm-hmm. um, was, it was really just, it, it's, it continues to be a really important um, story and support for this national change that we're all involved in. Yeah. Um, well, that was a great um, overview of your efforts and um, really, I think, highlights the or underscores the importance of alternative payment models in affecting this kind of transformational change. Um, I want to follow up a little bit on a couple of uh, things that you mentioned. You talked about how uh, obviously you had made these investments previously, but you know, you I think you said something about pivoting, flexing, and responding in ways beyond what you had anticipated. And I'm curious to know, um, how has your response kind of evolved um, in terms of your response to the land resiliency framework, but, you know, more broadly in terms of the kind of models that you've implemented, how has that evolved, you know, uh, due to the duration and intensity of the PHE? Obviously, we're still in the public health emergency. So if you could talk about that. Sure. So um, the experience that I was just speaking of and and our reflection on that and really not not just our own, but the work we did with the other members of the land um, just really emboldened us to accelerate um, our our. alternate payment model journey, if you will. So if you think about the land taxonomy, um, we set very specific goals around increasing um, our our participation, whether you look at contracts or covered lives or people providers in those total cost of care population-based prospectively paid models. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, in shorthand, uh, moving along towards those, um, those category three and even more category four payment models. So how can we get closer to the purchasers of care, uh, meet the needs for the population 
um, that they that they are responsible for, whether it's Medicare uh, as a state Medicaid um, provide plan um, or um, our commercial uh, health plan partners and and directly with employers. Mm -hmm. So how do we get closer to um, that full um, uh, support of a population? where we have even greater clinical and financial accountability. So we, through our um, recommitment back in October of 2020, right, we set very specific goals around that, more aggressive goals. And then we have been working hard to, to make that happen. So um, across all of those different populations I spoke about. Okay. Um, one other thing I wanted to come back to was um, you described, uh, if you know, in terms of the outreach and engagement that from your clinical team relative to the patients that um, you're accountable for. And I think you mentioned that you know your your patients were eager for help and were engaged and wanted to know how to you know be safe and so forth. Um, we talk a lot about you know beneficiary or person or patient engagement. And certainly looks like in this, you know, in this particular, your experience, you know, speaks to a higher level of engagement. So um, based on your experience, can you talk about how we, you know, continue that, maintain that, and also ensure that, you know, people and their families are truly engaged in, in the care? Yes, um, absolutely. So we, we, like others, right, moved fast uh, and we're super responsive and continue to be um, during the public health emergency. But I would say um, we collaborated even within our own um, integrated delivery system in ways that we had not before. And we, because of the speed of response that was needed, we just said, okay, what's working here? Spread it there. Um, how do we grow this, do more of that? So um, I would say more, uh, more development, testing and implementation of, of these sort of small tests of change. One of the things that, and, and those have sustained. So there are, we are not going back, I will mm -hmm. say, to mm -hmm. the way things were. So I'll use one example, um, which is uh, we have Trinity, Trinity Health, um, like many um, uh, sort of community-based health systems, and I think particularly you see this in, in Catholic healthcare, is the commitment to the health of the community. And we had social care hubs uh, to try and uh, make it easier for people to access um, care in the community. So we needed to quickly put all those pieces together so that like in the story I told earlier, yeah. our population healthcare managers who are reaching out to put together care plans and service plans for folks, they knew what are those community-based services that would um, close some of those gaps and engage them. And so that process of working through our community health and well-being teams and those social care hubs, that's now just the way we work. So there are many things um, that we, we did quickly um, to, to respond quickly to COVID that are now how we work. 
And so that's been really satisfying, I think, for the teams, both how quickly we we're able to respond to the needs of our patients and communities, mm -hmm. and then that that we have now just made that part of um, part of our overall response to to any future need um, that that would come about. Great. Those are some um, great examples. Maybe keeping sort of on the same theme of uh, person-centeredness, as you are well aware, you know, the PHE has uh, laid bare many of the health disparities that currently exist within our, you know, healthcare system. Um, can you sort of build upon what you were talking about relative to your experience and, and describe some of the actions, you know, Trinity has taken to address health disparities, particularly as it relates to, you know, COVID, but also more, you know, more broadly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, Trinity Health, you know, has always been very clear um, through, um, through the, the way that we deliver care, communicate, um, engage communities, that racism is a public health crisis. And as you pointed out, many of the um, disparities in access um, in treatment, in outcomes, many of those inequities were just amplified, mm -hmm. um, have been amplified um, um, with COVID. And, um, and that sort of has led us to double down on our advocacy for racial justice, um, uh, commitment uh, to internally um, moving faster on our own journey for you know equitable compensation and and talent um, and um, the culture of inclusion that we uh, strive um, to create within our organization and also uh, for the people we serve um, so we've been doing sort of accelerating our work on anti-racism training diversity equity and inclusion work including things like um, supply chain uh, so so our journey around um, uh, addressing racism in healthcare as part of our commitment to the common good sort of falls under that general umbrella for us, that has just been accelerated as well. Um, and that really flows through in terms of um, how, it, how it showed up with COVID is really our uh, accelerated response to the community to access to um, um, to care, to treatment, to vaccination. So um, just really huge commitment uh, to our communities um, in terms of increasing um, vaccination, community-based vaccination, testing, um, and, and, and making sure that communities of color have, um, have robust um, access to that. So it's been a very big piece of our, mm -hmm. um, our commitment as an organization, as well as our sort of COVID response. Okay. And then how, um, can you talk a little bit about how some of these steps have you taken as it pertains specifically to COVID also translate into addressing health disparities, you know, more broadly, you know, outside of COVID uh, within your organization? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, there's a, I'll give you one example, because there are many, but that sort of ties back to what we were talking about earlier, in terms of the rapid response um, the, that 
that needed that was needed and that 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 we um how how rapidly we responded to to COVID and what we learned from that that we could do in in particularly in our work and um integrating more of our community um investments and community supports and those social care hubs but um we said well gee who's what's the population how can we use this experience um, to inform our work in population health and alternative payment models? Uh, and what, what can we take and move into some longer term change? And so we spent some time, you know, this was happening sort of across the organization, but obviously for me, focused on our work in population health and, and value-based care. We said, well, we know we have data on populations attributed to us. What do we know about health disparities and how they show up in some of our day-to-day um, -day work in caring for an attributed population? And so um, sort of across our organization, every team was choosing um, focused efforts um, where they could in whatever area they work, address um, health disparities and inequities. And so what we um, looked at is, well, in our Medicare ACO population, um, we do have some information about race and ethnicity, um, but we also found that in the populations who are duly enrolled for Medicare and Medicaid, where we actually have, there's actually a flag in the data that tells you this is the population. It's not an exact match, mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for race and ethnicity. We're not, you know, saying that, but it was a population that we could um, look across the organizations because we have Medicare ACOs in almost every market, we could say, what can we do to address disparities in that population in particular? Um, and that's where we did really a deep dive into, if you took our, our, our sort of typical population health metrics that we use to uh, measure the impact we're having on the health of a population, and we dive into that um, and look for those disparities. What we found is that for those who are duly enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid, we found greater disparities in things like um, uh, preventable ED visits, preventable hospitalization, some of our typical measures. So that's an area where we decided to focus for this year. So we have a very, um, specific now clinical set of clinical interventions that we do for that population. And we are looking in a very, um, you know, sort of data um, um, uh, centered way, are we moving the needle on um, reducing preventable hospitalizations? And we use the um, ARC um, ambulatory care sensitive condition admission measure which is very, it's, there's also a measure in our, in our ACO quality data um, that's very similar. And, and we said, okay, we're going to do something different for this population, and then we're going to measure the impact. So for that population, when you dig into those ambulatory care sensitive conditions, 
you find tremendous disparities in things like um, uh, uh, poorly controlled diabetes or, you know, sort of pick, pick your, pick your chronic illness. And, um, and so that's where we're focusing and we're doing that through, um, through adding to our usual care team, mm -hmm. um, the uh, community health workers. So we have a whole um, initiative across all of Trinity Health to, uh, to train, hire, um, deploy as part of our population health care team, community health workers. We've had a lot of great experience with that. And now it's just the way we work for that population um, to get closer to those underlying issues um, that, that show themselves through the data. Um, and then, um, and then uh, expect that we will be able to better meet the needs of that population with that additional member of the care team um, providing support and connection. And then the use of the that whole network that we've developed through our social care hubs. Wow. Um, well, it's it's you know it's a great example I think of how you've used uh, you know data to drive sort of establishment of goals and then redesigning and deploying your care delivery team to help meet those goals. Um, I wanted to tie this back to something you said earlier around um, you know specific goals you've. Uh, established or working towards within your organization in terms of moving um, along the continuum of the LAN APM framework and moving more to category three and four, potentially category four models, which are the true population-based payment models. Based on your experience, can you talk a little bit about uh, the role uh, APMs can play in intentionally addressing uh, issues pertaining to health equity? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is very much coming out of the experience um, that I was speaking about earlier, which is um, when, when, you, when you participate in alternative payment models that assign, basically assign you a population of patients and say, you the providers are now accountable for the clinical and financial outcomes and the experience of care for this population. What comes with that is data and um, claims data, if that's, if that's how the data comes to you for this population, and it often does, right? The set of um, encounters, the historical encounters for the population, all the diagnoses and information that come with that really help you to understand a population of patients in a much richer way than you would if you were only looking at your own um, encounter data. So what you might have in your primary care practice, for example, because those are people you're caring for. Once you get that full claims data set and you can see all of the conditions that that group of patients or any one individual patient is, is um, being treated for, all the different providers who are providing their care um, and, um, and, and all those points along the continuum, that just becomes a much more enriched um, uh, understanding of a patient and a population of patients. So 
it works really on two levels. The, the patient um, in front of you or the, the patient you're focusing on, you now have a much more complete understanding of the care they are seeking, the clinical conditions they have, right? So on that patient level, it's very enriched. But at a population level, what that does for you is I once had one of my uh, clinical uh, partners say, it's sort of like doing a differential diagnosis on a population. Like you can see for an entire population, where do we need to be focusing? Mm -hmm. um, uh, what boy, am I seeing a lot of folks who are getting multiple admissions for congestive heart failure, for example. And that bubbles up into a pattern of care that then enables you to say, I'm going to design a population-based intervention for that. So it's both that individual patient and the richer understanding of their care and their conditions, as well as being able to take that more integrated systematic approach to redesigning care for a population. Okay. Um, I'm curious, I mean, obviously Trinity has been making these invest investments over multiple years and, and has been on this incredible journey in terms of advancing value. Um, so based on your experience and lessons learned, uh, what kind of advice or uh, guidance would you give to other payers or providers who, you know, who are contemplating this journey uh, towards value-based care? Uh, yeah, sure. It's, it's, a, it's a long road is, is what I will say. I, um, I, I was talking to some friends of mine about, wow, it's, you know, it's been 10 years since the Affordable Care Act um, and, and we're still sort of doing this blocking and tackling, you know, every day creating, you know, one more small bend in the cost curve, if you will. Um, and did, did we think it was going, we were still going to be here that the journey would be this long. And so I think many people thought well, this would happen much faster. So stick-to-itiveness, patience, um, patience is, you know, I'm not the most patient person, um, but I think to be able to look, this is all about the long run, right? We see this in the results of say, ACOs and those that achieve uh, year over year improvements in quality and cost, right? Those are the ones who've been in, in it the longest. Um, so it's that, it's the patience and stick-to-itiveness mm -hmm. and being sure to call out, to find and call out those small bends because they do add up over time to some pretty significant um, improvements in the care of a community or a population and, and making care more affordable. Um, so there's that um, long-term horizon, right? This is, we are very much in this for the long-term. So that's, that's one piece, I guess that's a don't lose, don't lose hope, uh, <laughs> stick with it. So there's that piece. Um, the other is, I think the reason that this has been um, that, that Trinity Health um, uh, has made this commitment over time is because it's absolutely central to our mission. So Trinity Health is, the, is really the leading health system in this work. If you look at the number of communities we serve, 
the number of people that are um, that are attributed to us, if you will, the number of people that we're caring for through these population health models, the number of providers and the success that we've had. And that is absolutely because it is central to our mission to transform the health of the communities we serve. So all of that is to say, um, it's really important when, when you are doing this kind of huge um, change to be able to speak to how central it is to the, the mission and goals of the organization. So we really keep that front and center um, of our, our organizational strategy, um, our, you know, our work with our health plan partners, like it, it really infuses um, through the organization and it goes back to um, that, you know, we will be that healing transforming presence in the communities we serve. It is just central to our mission. And I think, I think that's, that's why it has staying power because it is going to be, um, it's a long-term play. And so it needs to be really core to the organization's mission and values and vision. Um, unfortunately, I feel like we could, you know, I could talk to you for another hour. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have, you know, for, for today. Um, of course, we'd love to have you back uh, whenever your schedule permits. Uh, Emily, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and for such a wonderful conversation and for sharing your experience uh, and insights. Um, we also thank you very much for all that you do to help guide the land to reach its goals of expanding healthcare access, improving health equity, and expanding adoption of um, APMs. Thank you again. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's an absolute privilege to do this work and, you know, and to be able to share um, the experiences um, with others. So thanks for letting me do that. Thank you. Um, for all of you listening, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this conversation, please keep checking the LAN website for more from our Spotlight on Action series highlighting work to advanced, advanced value-based care. This episode and future Spotlights will also be posted on our social media accounts, uh, so be sure to follow our Twitter handle at payment underscore network and on LinkedIn by searching for Healthcare Payment Learning and Action Network. 